Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Each passing year sees additional states that allow marijuana to be legally used for medical and or recreational purposes. Many people still debate the clinical aspects of its danger or not, and when and where aspects of the cannabis plant may indeed have a real clinical role. But there is another aspect to this movement, namely the conversion of marijuana sales from illegal to formal retail systems. What types of industry and governmental standards exist? On June 11, 2014, Dr. Kimber Richter from the University of Kansas and Dr. Sharon Levy from Harvard Medical School co-authored a perspective published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Both doctors have agreed to talk to us about that perspective, and thank you both so much for being with us. What is the history of the article? How is it that the idea came to the both of you to write it? Either one of you can start, please. This is Kim Richter, and for me, I was concerned about changing how we approach marijuana. I had a lot of concerns around it, and for me, it centered on what I knew had happened with tobacco over the last hundred years. So I decided to try play with that, and I knew I needed somebody with more of a background in substance abuse and its effects on children. So I approached Sharon, and she was happy to work on this. What did you basically say in the article for people who have not read it? What was the premise of the article? The premise of the article is that legalizing marijuana for retail sale the way it's been done so far in the two states that have instituted this as a new policy can lead to a series of predictable consequences that are very concerning to us and to many of our colleagues. Speaking as a pediatrician, I think that there's particular concern around child health and adolescent health. If we look at history, as Skimmer pointed out, we can see what's happened with the tobacco industry and how the marketing and sales of illegal products has really impacted public health negatively and continues to do so today. And the concern is that allowing the free market to determine how marijuana is used is probably not the best thing to do in terms of public health. So are we concerned about, to put it simply, corporate social responsibility, that they may be doing something more for a profit motive, which corporations do, and I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but in a case when there are also real health risks, just like with tobacco industry and all the arguments we had as to whether or not it was dangerous, you're talking about that sort of thing. That's exactly right. And again, I agree with you that there's nothing wrong with profit motive per se. When we're looking at a profit motive that's tied to a substance that's known to be addictive and has well-defined health consequences, then I have concerns. Is there, as we stand right now, anybody going to monitor the production, the quality, the purity, the strength once the industries start to produce it? Do we have any overseer? Well, it's interesting because this is being done state by state, and so it's up to different states to set up regulatory frameworks. So, and I'm just trying to remember of the two states where it is legal right now, they both have sort of set up or have outlined what their regulations will be like. And in one of the states, I'm sorry, I can't remember which, it's more around working environment and the worker safety. It's kind of like how you would think about the production of a car, sort of production standards and worker safety. In another state, they're voluntary testing of the product. It's not clear 
what they're going to be testing for, and what are the bars at which someone will have say there is a problem. There are no standards. Knowing what's in the product and making sure workers are safe, there are no standards in terms of contaminants and things like that. They're trying to regulate it, but it's like regulation without any kind of safety endpoint. One of the things that bothers me is that with all the medications that are FDA approved, we have a system called MedWatch, and if there is a side effect, we report it, or at least we report it to the manufacturer who in turn puts it into a database and then it's reported to the FDA. And if over a series of multiple reports begin to see a pattern, then we have authority to go back and force that drug to be looked at, maybe redefined and maybe even taken off the market. Do you know of any such system going like that for marijuana? I don't think that there is such a system for marijuana. And very much like tobacco, the consequences of marijuana use are predominantly long-term. So they are harder to pick up. We all know the story of what happened with tobacco. It took a long time, despite what we know is a very, very substantial relationship between tobacco and health outcomes like lung disease and lung cancer and heart disease. It actually took a very, very long time to establish those associations, even though they're very strong. And that's because they're so long-term that studying them is really challenging. And so it's possible really for years and years to go by before we really have the quality of data that is really going to make the kind of public health changes that we've seen in response to people now understanding better what the impacts of tobacco use are. So even when there's a strong association when they're long-term, it could take a very long time to really understand them and describe them in detail. And in the meantime, the industry will get a very strong foothold in terms of the market and user advocates and in terms of its lobbying power to really entrench its business in our country and and create resistance to any kind of regulation or change. We really do not yet have a good monitoring system for keeping an eye on the dangers, and it sounds as if the companies that are selling this, at least initially, are going to be perhaps like the tobacco industry and either hide it or deny the fact that there are problems. Really, to me, the nub of the problem is that we know that there are are harm associated with marijuana, but none of the policies that we've been seeing coming forward, including medical marijuana and legalization, are really addressing the known harms of marijuana. Any kind of policy that would take that into account would also take into account the fact that if we increase prevalence, the current known harms are going to increase. If we increase the freedom of marijuana producers to produce and market their product, then we'll see changes in that product. So there may be more harms that are coming from the new product, and we don't have a surveillance system for that either. So as professionals in the medical community, what do you see, project if you can, project if it's possible, of what the saga of the tobacco industry history will mean to the clinical world as marijuana is more and more available? Are we going to have to address marijuana use the way we have to address tobacco use? I don't think we 
you have to project too far. I think we're already seeing it. There have been increases in high school students who use marijuana daily. I think actually a couple of years ago, the percentage of high school students who smoke marijuana daily surpassed the percentage who smoke tobacco daily. That's because the perception of harm has really decreased the current public discourse over marijuana. So we hear a lot about potential good of marijuana. We hear often that it's very benign and that its risks are overblown. I think that there's a lot of very good research that shows that there are very substantial risks and particularly youth. This is really a tremendous amount of confusion around that right now. Even when a message is given in a neutral way or there's an attempt to give a message in a neutral way, I think it can still be confusing. I saw a 15-year-old patient yesterday who told me that she became interested in using marijuana after watching CNN special on medical marijuana, and she came to the conclusion that it's actually not harmful, and she started using it, and of course now a year later she's presenting for treatment for marijuana use disorder. So we're already starting to see these increases of a product that's known to be addictive and is known to be associated with harm throughout the lifespan, but particularly in use. I'm afraid that those numbers are going to continue to grow. Ultimately, the public health community was able to move the needle and push the rate of tobacco users down after a long period of time with lots of lives lost, lots of money spent. Frankly, those numbers have become stagnant. We still have high schoolers initiating tobacco, and it's a very hard battle. And I think we should be asking ourselves, do we really want to go down this path again? There really are no models in my mind for other ways to think about how addictive products should be regulated. If we follow the trajectory of tobacco, by 2050, one in two adults will be using marijuana. Then, by the end of the century, if we wake up to it and start trying to push down the prevalence, one in five will be using marijuana. It'll be about the same for kids. One in five will be using marijuana. Do we want one in two Americans using marijuana by the middle of the century? Do we want one in five adults and kids using it dependently by the end of the century? And what does that mean? And we're all thinking about smoke marijuana, but what is being sold in Colorado and in Washington right now is marijuana oil that is nearly 100% THC that is baked into cookies that deliver about 16 joints worth of THC. We're seeing marijuana wax that people are putting on the end of the nail and using blow torches to vaporize it and inhaling it. So you're having lots of high people passing around a blow torch. And we know that the more intense the drug is, the more likely it is to set up a cycle of dependence. People need to say, by 2050, do we want one in two Americans using marijuana, but not the marijuana that we know, this super pure THC distillate, and suffering from the harms of that? I don't. I think most people wouldn't. What we're pointing out is that the history of tobacco use was very reactive on the part of the public health community when the tobacco industry was forming for us to be able to foresee the consequences. Do we want to repeat that reactive history or can we be more proactive now that we do have the tool? It's very confusing for people when they hear that we're going to decriminalize marijuana, which suggests, at least at lower doses, that it's not so dangerous. And yet at the same time, the molecule is being given the label of a medicine 
medicine, and it's very confusing to figure out which way to go, because if it's a medicine, it clearly should be regulated by some mechanism, but if it's just for recreational purpose, by almost definition, it's not regulated. Very confusing. When the tobacco industry history gets involved, I'd love your thoughts. What's happening now is not decriminalization. It's not lowering the penalty for using marijuana, changing it to a misdemeanor rather than a felony. It is opening the door to industrialization and leaving huge loopholes in regulation and in criteria around what constitutes marijuana to permit manufacturers to create as pure and addictive product as possible. That is something that's really confusing with what's happening in Colorado and Washington and Florida and other states. We're talking about really opening the door, inviting industrialization. In your article in New England Journal of Medicine, your last paragraph is, history and the current evidence suggest that simply legalizing marijuana and giving free reign to the resulting industry is not the answer. To do so would be to once again entrust private industry with safeguarding the health of the public, a role that it is not designed to handle. That was Sharon's thought. I think that that really encapsulates what the concerns are. If we allow an industry to form with very minimal regulation, we're already starting to see changes to the product, more concentrated forms of cannabis, new ways of delivering cannabis that might make it both more appealing and also more addictive. And why would an industry do that? The job of industry is to sell more products. But that's really at odds with public health here. To protect the public health, we don't want to just maximize how much of this product we push out. There has to be some mechanism in between industry and the public in order to protect it. And we're really not talking about that. We really have been very unimaginative when we think about how we might regulate this and how we might do a better job and avert some of the concerning consequences. We see universities open up, supposed universities, of how to be an entrepreneur in the cannabis world. Very interesting. Just a very brief thought. As a pediatrician, my heart, of course, goes out for children like Charlotte Figgy that we saw on CNN. I'm not at all sure that the current way of distributing marijuana as a medicine is in her best interest or the interest of other children with such conditions. You know, if you saw the story on CNN, you may have appreciated that the burden of identifying the best strain of marijuana and selecting the plant and even extracting the oil all fell to the parents and the family. And really, she had pretty minimal guidance for using a psychoactive medication. I think that that is really not in her best interest. I talk to some of my neurologist friends and say, wouldn't you really like to have control over how much of an anticonvulsant you are giving to a child? If marijuana helps a kid, wouldn't it be nice to know just exactly what you are dosing this child with? And they all say yes. They all say yes. Kimber Richter is from the University of Kansas and Dr. Sharon Levy from Harvard Medical School talking about some very critical issues about the reality as marijuana becomes legalized and it comes to market and they're very legitimate concerns. I thank you both for being with us. This, is, again, has been very interesting. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye.